0: Thank you so much. Just wanted to give a short introduction before we hear our Bible reading from John chapter 15. If you know John chapter 15, it's a very famous passage in which Jesus uses an image that may not be familiar to all of us of himself as the vine and us as the branches. And to really understand and enjoy that image to the full Uh, we need to know how the image is used in the old testament so it's not an image that jesus kind of just grabbed and thought of uh, all by himself it was one that is based in deeply in the old testament And i just want to explain a little bit i think that will really help you enjoy and understand what's going on in the passage in psalm 80 verses 8 to 19 uh, israel is pictured as being like a vine so that's one of the places in the Old Testament. So it's, it's a picture of Israel. And the picture is that, that God, in a sense, comes along. You may have had this experience in your own garden, and he, he finds a place that is sort of wild and overgrown, and he spends a long time clearing away all the land, and then he plants at uh, this beautiful vine. And does all that brings all the things in terms of the manure and the water and everything else that is needed to, in order for that vine to flourish. Uh, but the problem is, as the psalmist tells it, that the vine, having had all that love and attention, still doesn't produce uh, good fruit. Then in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 15. Uh, Ezekiel is uh, using that same picture again, that is the people of Israel are like a vine that has been planted, Uh, but he's particularly focusing on judgments and saying, well, once a vine stops producing grapes, it is literally useless. And you know, the kind of, you know that gnarly sort of woody bit of the vine? He says even that gnarly woody bit, you can't use it to make furniture or make anything useful. It's just old and gnarly. And the only thing you can do with it is chop it up and put it on the fire. So that's the, one of the, the, the other ways that that image is used. The last one is in Isaiah 15, Isaiah 5. Sorry, And again in Isaiah 5, Israel is pictured as a vine. And a vine in, into which God has invested time and love and care and attention. But the vine is not producing any fruit. And so God starts to ask himself through Isaiah, well, do I have to start again? You know, what do I do with this vine? And Isaiah says, God looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. God looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress so this is a picture that the the people of israel who should have been the vehicle of blessing for the world who should have been the people that lived out god's grace and his love they weren't doing so so the vine is this really well established picture in the old testament of the people of israel and it's a, an image that says The people of israel were cherished they were cared for uh, they were given so much and they were purposed to bear fruit and a to to be a shining example of god's love and god's ways to the wider world but the question of the image is always well what happens when israel does not bear fruit does, does not live up to all that love that god has poured into her Uh, So that's the way the picture of the vine is used in the Old Testament and now we're going to hear in our reading what Jesus says about himself as the true vine.
1: John chapter 15 verses 1 to 17. The vine and the branches. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as also I remain in you. you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Adrian, thank you very much indeed. Jesus introduces three key images In this passage, uh, although there is arguably a fourth that is just lurking underneath uh, the surface. I want to look at each of those in turn. Uh, Firstly, as we see in verse 1 so clearly, Jesus introduces himself as the true vine. I am the true vine, uh, he says. And so he's, he's laying claim to that picture of Israel in the Old Testament and saying, well, all that Israel should have been. All that Israel might have been, it says, the responsibility that it had, but also the way in which it was cherished and loved. Uh, that is me. And he's particularly helping us understand, of course, that Israel had failed. They'd not lived as what, in the way that God had wanted. They'd not, uh, in a sense, done or, or been exhibitors of love and grace and truth in the way that God asked. And so Jesus comes first and says, I am that vine, I am the true Israel, uh, the true recipient of all of the promises uh, that were made about uh, the people of Israel. And Jesus does a similar thing as regards the temple, you may remember, and especially towards the end of his, uh, his life, he, he says of the temple he, that the temple has essentially failed, we looked at this just before Easter. The temple was supposed to be the place where everybody could come and meet with God, and everybody could come and get right with God. But something had gone wrong. The temple was only ever supposed to point to a deeper reality, but even the way it tried to do that had been diminished and undone. And Jesus said, in a sense, with as the cross begins to loom over uh, his life, actually. The cross is going to be the place where God and broken humanity meet and the cross is going to be the place that starts to bring people who need to be reconciled together so the first image is that is the one that Jesus uses of himself and says I am the vine I am doing what Israel was always supposed to do the second one is there in verse one and it's slightly harder for those of us whose first language is English uh, so in, the, in our version, we read, my father is the gardener. The trouble is, gardener is not the most helpful word in English. A gardener, a gardener quite a few of you know are know gardeners. Gardeners in English tend to be sort of enthusiastic generalists um, who, who have a particular interest in making things look nice and smell nice, or at least trying. Uh, so you know, I think about some of the, the sort of random and misguided effort that I pour into our garden. It, it is with the hope that maybe one day this summer there's going to be 20 minutes where I sit down and the grass is the right length and most of the weeds are gone and the things that are in bloom are in bloom and it looks nice, it smells nice and it just, it just breathes serenity over me. Now whether that actually happens or not is another matter but that that answers as a gardener that's what i'm heading uh, towards Uh, but although we see that word in our bible it doesn't really capture all that jesus was trying to say if you go back to the greek the greek word that is used in in the original greek is georgos from which we get our name george And, and the trouble is that means farmer and I think we would all snigger if uh, we hear the translation, I am the true vine and my father is the farmer. Because in our world, in English, you know, farmer means cows and sheep and wheat. Uh, and we don't quite get how that works with vines and tending and pruning. The older English translations, used a word that we never use. I bet you haven't used this word in like years if you've ever used it. And they use the word vine dresser. So the older English translations say, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now vine dresser is a fantastic word, but we don't really use it very often. But you only have to change a little bit. If you you swap out vine for hair, you completely get it. So we know exactly what a hairdresser is you go to the hairdresser to have your hair cut and in the same way the vine dresser is the person who tends but particularly prunes the vines and so even if in english we don't have the perfect word to describe it we can say what this person does jesus describes it in verse two Uh, the the father comes to Cut off every branch that bears no fruit and to prune the ones that do. And so the father is the skilled worker who tends the vineyard with the sole purpose of producing amazing fruit. Now, some of you will have probably been and visited a vineyard, whether that's here in Winchester or whether that's further afield. And you, you just know, you, you look at a proper vineyard, whether it's France or Portugal or wherever it is, and you've just got these beautiful long lines of things that have been really carefully attended to. They've been pruned and cared for and manicured. So going back to our English word gardener, if if gardener works, it works for the soft fruit part of your garden. You know, the raspberries, for instance, whereby the the person who looks after that bit of the garden, what they're they're doing, all that pruning and caring and, and spreading manure, why you're doing that is because you want a bumper crop of raspberries that's the picture that jesus uses of his father so he's the jesus is the vine his father is the vine dresser and then in verse five you the disciples we the disciples are the branches and again if you've been to a vineyard you'll know in a sense there are two very distinct bit of the of the of the actual of the thing that you're looking at the the, the main vine Is this gnarly stocky wooden thing that grows out the ground maybe to up to about head height for me and then on top of that uh, there are branches new branches that come out every single year and some some of those vines are very very ancient they go back decades or more but then the branches will come out fresh each uh, season and jesus pictures us Within this image, as uh, the branches, the branch's sole purpose is to produce and bear fruit. That's what the branch is there to do. It can only do so in as much as it is plugged into the top of the vine. So, if the if the branch gets nicked or damaged by the frost, it will not be able to produce fruit in the same way. It is a beautiful picture of community and collaboration. You've got this expert vine dresser who's coming to look after everything. You've got the vine itself that's imparting all of this life. You've got the branches whose attitude is one of humility and obedience and fruitfulness. Now although it's not explicit in the text, given all that we've read over the past weeks in John 14 about the spirit of truth living in us and the spirit of uh, jesus helping us to uh, live out his commands it feels authentic with jesus in- intention to complete the trinitarian picture by describing the holy spirit as the sap the sap that is drawn through the old wood of the vine up into the branches uh, to become the essence Of the beautiful grapes that hang from the vine so what the sap does is it takes the DNA of the vine itself and it feeds it into the branches to produce a wonderful crop I want to make two observations about this picture that Jesus uses and then offer a way to pray in the light of this wonderful passage Uh, first of all uh, is whilst this is an essentially agricultural image you know, vines, vineyards that may or may not make sense uh, to you, Uh, this is actually not far from our experience and our understanding. Let me explain. We particularly understand, don't we, today, the absolute necessity of being plugged into something. So if you were to take out your phone now and have a look at it, um, your phone is utterly useless without both the software and the operating system that is within the phone in a way that i don't understand but we know that it, it's there that's what makes the phone work and do the things that you want the phone to do and it's also completely and utterly useless without access to mains power uh, to replenish the life of the batteries so the, the handset on its own is essentially useless without both the operating system, the software, and uh, the power that replenishes the batteries. And so we actually find it rather easy to appreciate Jesus' command to remain in him and to be 100% attentive to his word and to to think of ourselves not as independent operators but as uh, recipients and then givers of his sacrificial love. So we completely understand what it means to be cut off from the source. I remember one time I was I was in my car, I was going somewhere, and um, I just heard this. I heard my phone on the verge of death. I don't know if you've had this experience. And just as it's going from one percent to 0 percent, it just emits these plaintive little bleeps, kind of just a last grasp out into the darkness before it all dies, it's going, meh, meh. Just this little dying thing that's just like, please, someone help me. You know, we we get that. We understand that. And so even if you haven't grown a vine, you completely understand what Jesus means when he says, remain in me. Be plugged deeply into me and uh, to my words. Uh, the second thing I'd like to do is just, in a sense, to see how this picture that Jesus uses uh, invites us into the glorious life of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the pictures that the New Testament gives of the Trinity it is as though there's a, there's a wonderful family who completely love each other, but... When they see us arriving in the park, they're kind of, they sort of, they're having a wonderful game, but they stand back and they say, "Hey, come and join in." It's like that. It's like that. that moment, uh, you know, when you're, a, for me, when I was a young boy, and someone, some older boys, invited you to go and play football with them. Just that moment of stirring in your heart, you've watched people play football, but now you've been invited to go and join a kick around with some older boys. It was just like the best thing ever. And it's that same picture of invitation, uh, that we are invited into the glorious life of the Trinity. I want to just very quickly unpack how this passage helps us to live and to pray the Trinity in my mind you can only explain the trinity so much much better to see how we live it and how we pray it here's the first thing Uh, we yield we yield to god the father if you listen to lectio 365 as i know many of you do you will know that that word yield uh, comes a lot and i think it's a brilliant word i'm so glad that pete greg sort of brought it back into use we yield to God the Father, the skilled vine dresser. We are in His vineyard and we are taught to pray, Your kingdom come, Father, Your will be done. Now, think about this the next time you're at the hairdresser. When you sit down in the hairdresser's seat, you are yielding to the hairdresser. You're, 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 in a sense, you're putting your hair in their hands, literally. And you're not going to go away from the hairdresser. You might complain about the particular cut that they gave you, but you couldn't really go home and complain to a friend, you know, I sat down in that hairdresser's chair and and they cut some of my hair off. Well, that's what hairdressers do. When you sit in that chair, you yield to them. So so I had an experience that sort of in a sense even more exemplifies this a few years ago the first time I went to a Turkish barber's it's very exciting because what I love about that that experience is that it introduces an element of danger in Into, into a haircut which is, is what many men like really and so right at the end of the haircut it's the first time it ever happened I, you know you're like you're watching what's happening in the mirror and I, in, and I saw the guy get a little stick out with some cotton wool on the ends, and then, he, and then and thought, what's he doing and then, then he put some meths on it then he got a lighter out of his pocket and he lit it I'm thinking, what on earth is going to happen? If you've not had this experience, it's very exciting. They, they then use that, they kind of revert, they kind of flap it near your ear and it gets all of, the, of your ear hair out. And so, so rather than cutting it or getting the little sort of strimmer thing in it, they just burn it out. It's ever so exciting. And I would, I would recommend it to anybody, um, man or woman. Um, but it just... But it definitely exemplifies the yielding thing. Because, you know, you are completely thinking, do I trust this person or, or not? And I wasn't quite sure, but it works fantastically. So um, there you go. So you yield to God the Father. And that's what we do uh, as we relate to God the Father. And so, so one, but not the only question, to ask of a setback or a disappointment is will this make us more fruitful will, will, the, the, will what's been cut off or what's removed will that make us as a church community will that make me as an individual more fruitful or to put the question another way has this setback or disappointment or failure has this exposed part of me or part of us as a church that is withering on the vine so as we relate to God the Father we we yield that's a sense of trusting ourselves into God's hands he's the vine dresser not the hairdresser but he's the vine dresser before whom we yield and then we remain in Jesus the vine The only context in which my life as a disciple, my life as a human being, my life as a branch has any meaning is if it is securely founded in Jesus. And Jesus expresses this in two particular ways. The first is obedience to his words, and the second is that we love with his love and those are the two things Jesus explicitly says in this passage that are signs that we are remaining in him. So that first one is that we are taking his we are understanding his commands, we're hearing the things that he says to us and we're wanting to obey them and put them in practice. So remaining equals obedience. Remaining also equals love. And many of us would feel, I cannot possibly love in the way that God wants me to. And that is sort of the point, that unless we remain in him, plugged in deeply, we will not have that connection with him uh, through which his love uh, can flow. We are bearing Jesus' fruits. It's fruits based on his character, his mission. It's Jesus' agenda that guides us. it's his operating system within us we will flourish most completely as individual human beings whatever we do for our work in the week we will flourish most completely in as much as we remain in him obeying his commands sharing his love so we yield to the father we remain in Jesus the son so we then soak up the spirit we need The Spirit's power and nourishing and vitality more than our phones need to be plugged into the mains. The Spirit's primary purpose is not our fulfillment or to make us happy, though that is sometimes a happy byproduct. The Spirit's primary purpose of flowing into us is to help us to bear fruit for God. And in our passage, we see that that is being able to live out the beautiful world-changing words of jesus and then to love other people sacrificially as he has done so this passage i think really helps us to understand what it means to relate to god as the trinity yielding to the father remaining in the son soaking up the life of the spirit like an enthusiastic branch soaks up uh, the sap Uh, to give it energy and vitality and so i'd like to lead us in prayer as we close uh, so that we can ask god uh, to use this image to deepen our faith god the father we yield to you as a church community and as we stand before you we say god please take from us things that have stopped working help us to see the things that we need to desist from help us to welcome your pruning we pray for each other as individuals and pray that we would gladly yield to your acts of grace and discipline in our lives Jesus the son we simply want to remain in you we treasure your words we pray for those here or those who are listening who are struggling to obey your commands those who know what is asked of them and yet fear it or run from it Lord we pray for a change of heart they would find the blessing and the freedom of remaining in you and we pray for each other that you would help us to love sacrificially as you have loved us. Holy Spirit, we want to soak up your life. We want to drink it in. We want to be replenished and renewed and empowered. And we want to bear fruit, not to, in a sense, to be noticed but to give glory back to God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.